today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Remember NAFTA, or USMCA as it is now uh, referred to? Uh, it was brutal. It was it dragged on forever. We were close. We weren't. We were close. We weren't. And um, then push comes to shove, and a lot of shoving, I guess, in the eleventh hour of this. And uh, then eventually they did come up with something. However, that still has to be ratified, and there are tariffs still in place. Oddly enough, uh, earlier on in the week, last week, uh, the prime or the president, rather, President Donald Trump, uh, was talking about closing the border with U.S. and Mexico, <laughs> and even slapping a 25% tariff on cars that are assembled in Mexico, uh, just trying to drive through uh, other policies. Uh, like the wall and such and security issues at the border he's trying to get uh, resolved. So where does that leave NAFTA when you um, are threatening to put 25% tariffs on cars that are coming uh, out of Mexico into uh, Canada and the United States? And, um, and, and, and how do you ratify a change a deal, really, that's in the process of being ratified? Do you have to go back in and and rejig all of these things. Let's bring Ian uh, in Ian Lee, Sprout School of Business, Carleton University. He is with us now. Ian, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Uh, my pleasure, Scott. So it appears, uh, especially over the weekend when uh, the president was talking, or last week was talking about closing the border at Mexico, uh, if he doesn't, they, they don't get a handle on things, he's going to slap 25% tariffs on, on autos and such. How does that, how does that resonate with uh, NAFTA 2.0 and, and, and leave all those discussions? Right. Um, well, I think that uh, NAFTA, and I, it's easier to call it NAFTA 2.0 because everybody understands NAFTA, and 2.0 is, you know, the obviously the latest version. I think it's more descriptive. Uh, I think it's in deep trouble. Uh, I, I, at the moment, if we accept the words of the major actors, it's not going to go through. Mexico has said we are not ratifying unless the tariffs are lifted. Trump has said tariffs are not being lifted. Nancy Pelosi, the Democratic leader in the House of Reps that has to approve it, has said point blank, without equivocation, no caveats, no exceptions, she is not going to allow the bill, the, the, the NAFTA 2.0 bill, to come to a vote until Mexico passes significant labor uh, reform legislation. So each of the critical decision makers are checkmating one another. And you cannot have the deal go through until all three countries have signed off. And yet, and, and we, uh, sorry, and I forgot, of course, Christy Freeland, who said, you know, no deal with, with these tariffs on. So it's, it, you have this bizarre, and I mean bizarre situation, where normally when an agreement has been negotiated, at that point, all the heavy lifting is behind you. You've done all the heavy lifting, and now you're just moving on to the photo ops and the, and the opportunities to formalize it. Here, we, it seems that even after the negotiation, all three countries are determined to throw new rocks, new barriers at the agreement to prevent it going through. That is the agreement they just agreed to. Now they seem to, the same people want to seem to stop it from going through. Maybe they have an advanced case of buyer's remorse. Uh, or maybe it's just the uh, crazy political season because, you know, we're going into an election in Canada. And, of course, the Americans are ramping up for an election. Um, <clears throat> but uh, having whatever the reason, uh, I, I am very, very skeptical that we will see this passed into law 
in 2019 or 2020. Is anyone surprised at where we are now? I mean, was all this work for nothing? It, like the, it seems the goalposts are constantly moving here. Yeah. Um, it's too late now to... to, to um, uh, all we can do is, uh, you know, be, be play uh, a quarterback, armchair quarterback, and do post-mortems. Uh, my own view um, is, is that mistakes were made by the Americans and the Canadians. Um, I'm, there may have been by the Mexicans, but I wasn't studying it as closely, although I didn't see any. Uh, Trump, let me deal with the Canadian first, the Canadian point uh, or, or point of view or approach. For the first year, roughly first year, we said essentially over and over, very publicly, this is not an opinion. This is this is on the record. Uh, the Prime Minister, Christine Friedel, the Trade Minister, said, no way are we going to compromise on any of those things that the Americans are asking for. No way, not at all, not going to happen, not even contemplatable. We're not going to negotiate those, you know, dairy and uh, and the other issues that the, the Americans had on their list. Well, it begs the question, if you're not going to negotiate anything, why did you bother showing up? Because negotiations are about give and take. I'll give you something and you give me something. I scratch your back, you scratch my back. But I'm not trying to blame it all on the Canadians because Trump kept moving the goalposts, as you just, the wonderful phrase. You know, they'd start negotiating, and then Trump said, whoops, whoops, wait a minute, no, 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 I want more, I want this, and then he kept pushing it back. Well, what's the point of all this? It pushed back the negotiations. It pushed back the agreement, an agreement that should have been very quick. It should have been very straightforward. We do have a NAFTA for 20 years. It's been extraordinarily successful. So all we needed to do was tweak it, fine-tune it, update it to include those industries that did not exist back in 1993. Uh, you know, like e-commerce, biologic drugs, mm. you know, online banking, you know, stuff like that. And I thought that, you know, these are three countries that are used to dealing with each other. These aren't strangers. We've been in bed together with each other in a menage a trois for 20 years. We can't pretend that we don't know who we're, we're, we're in bed with. And and so we just needed to update the thing. And yet, <clears throat> Trump dragged it out and dragged it out. So did Canada by saying, no, 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 can't negotiate. And then finally, finally, we got serious, all three parties. We negotiated. But in the meantime, guess what happened? The Congress changed, and now the Democrats are in. And the Democrats have a very long and well-deserved and well-earned history of being opposed to trade agreements. It's been noted in the American media that no Democratic, there has been no instance where the Democratic Party in the Congress has voted a majority in favor of any trade agreement ever, including NAFTA 1993, when Bill Clinton only got it passed because it was supported by uh, by Repu- a majority of Republicans, although it was it was voted down or voted against by a majority of the Democrats. So we're in this, you know, because of mistakes that were made. They 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 uh, lost uh, the calendar. I mean, they lost the, the 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 outcome of the calendar. The Dems are now running the Congress, or the the House of Representatives, and for that reason, Pelosi is a smart smart politician. She can read the tea leaves. She knows that just about every candidate running for president uh, is uh, deeply opposed to NAFTA, and so. She's just not going to let it come up for a vote. She's in, she put a condition on the table. She knows that the Mexicans cannot meet because it's such an insult. It's such an affront. You know, I demand that you change the laws of your country that deal with your workers. 
it's so uh, offensive and so no politician with any uh, sense of integrity or self-worth or pride is going to agree. So she's deliberately given them a, a condition that they cannot meet. So what does that mean? It means that Nancy Pelosi is not going to put it forward for a vote, which means it shall not be voted, and if it's not voted, it doesn't become law. So we are stuck with the traditional NAFTA. It's still in place. And that's not the... Excuse me. That's not the end of the world. How does this reflect on Donald Trump, though, after the art of the deal and all of that, in 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 the bullying to get this done in the first place? Yeah. Uh, I mean, how's he going to sell that? Um, I think what he's going to do, and I'm not here to defend Donald Trump at all, but I, you know, we know his his uh, his uh, shtick by now. We know his the way he operates and the kinds of arguments he uses. I think he's going to do the argument, uh, make the argument on the campaign trail. And he's already campaigning, essentially, for re-election for the fall 2020 election. But I think he's going to make the argument, look, I went out to the Congress and I fought and fought and fought. I gave it my best. And, you know, those Washington elites, they wouldn't have anything to do with it, you know, and they shot down this great new deal that I negotiated. <clears throat> so he's going to blame it on the opposition, on the on the Democrats. And and so he's going to say, look, I, I, I had a deal. I had a much better deal than before. But the Democrats shot it down, and they are to blame for the fact that we've still got this bad old NAFTA. I don't agree with that, by the way, Scott. I think the NAFTA of 1993 was, was, a, was the most successful trade agreement in history. But he is going to make that argument that you, the Americans, are stuck with it because the Democrats shot down a much better and new and improved deal that he, Donald Trump, had negotiated. How does he expect to get any of this signed, though, with tariffs still in place? I mean, the whole idea of a trade agreement is there are no tariffs. So That's exactly right. I mean, so he, how can he speak out of both sides of his mouth here? Either he wants a trade deal or he wants tariffs. <laughs> Which one is it? You are absolutely right. I mean, he is speaking out of both sides of his mouth. Because, I mean, the whole point of a trade agreement is to reduce or eliminate yeah. tariffs. We've known that for 70, 80 years. This is not a secret. We've been trying since the end of the Second World War when they set up the GATT, the General Agreement on Trades and Tariffs, and that eventually evolved into the World Trade Organization. And the driving force, the driving logic, was to eliminate tariffs because they hurt trade. And when you hurt trade, you hurt the creation of jobs. So it came back to that famous jobs, jobs, jobs. I mean, that was one of the driving arguments, or the principal driving argument. And so, but what Trump is doing, he's pulling it off because he's going to the uh, to the his his base, the 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 working the working class blue collar workers uh, who uh, disproportionately support him in places like Ohio and in Pennsylvania. Uh, and the, the the Rust Belt states, and I've driven through these states. I and I mean recently, so I I know these states. And he's going to them and saying, "Look, you know, you've been taken to the cleaners, not only by those hoity-toity elites in Washington D.C. in my own party and the other party." So he gets the he you know he makes he comes across as more sincere when he says that. But he also says, "You've been taken by the Mexicans and the Canadians and the Chinese and the and the Germans because they're cheating or they're setting up rules." where it's much harder for us to go export to their country than for them to come into our country. And so I'm going after them with tariffs. So he's coming across as I'm standing up for America. I'm the big, strong guy standing up for our country. And so it resonates. 
That's my point. It resonates. I've talked to people in Ohio. I've talked to people in Pennsylvania. And they say, well, at least somebody's up there in Washington fighting for the little guy, fighting for us. And even if he doesn't succeed, you know, he is, it, it, he is I mean, he's at 40, I think, 45% of the yeah, polls. Yeah, perception, And when you yeah. consider all the people he has insulted and all the people he's attacked and offended, I mean, I just think it's amazing that this guy is at 45% of the polls. But it, his messaging and his messages and his themes are resonating with a, that percentage, that dump, those, dump, those people in the population, that he is standing up and speaking truth to power to the Chinese and to the Germans and, and all these other groups that have been uh, beating up on America and Americans. And so that's how he's pulling it off. And I know a lot of people think he's going to lose the next election, but I'm looking at what the alternative is, the, and I, it's hard to say who's going to be the alternative because there are 20 candidates right now, and that's an awful lot of candidates, for only, and only one of them is going to get the job uh, of the leader of the Democratic Party running against Trump. But, you know, I'm listening to the messages they're making, and, and a lot of the Democrats are going what I would call hard left, and... Um, you know, uh, a very significant carbon tax and uh, free tuition and free, complete uh, public health care. And I mean, I know we in Canada think that this is okay because we've got it, but for the Americans, this is an enormous. This is very radical stuff, and and so I can't see, although. I can't see any one of those people defeating Trump. I should say that my record, though, I want to put this out there, is not so good because I sat down on the night of November, <laughs> I think it was the 4th of 2016, and I was convinced that Hillary Clinton was going to win. But to defend myself, so did millions and millions and millions of other people, including the people, the senior advisors to Trump and to Clinton. The senior advisors to Clinton told her she was going to win. Yeah. The senior advisors to Trump told Trump he was going to lose, and they were both wrong. And so was I. So how did we even get this far with even coming up with this deal, with even signing this deal, with tariffs in place? Why did the Canadian government uh, not say, no, we're not even getting this far without removing tariffs? Now it's not; it won't be ratified, it appears, without the tariffs yeah, being yeah. removed. Um, no, I, that, that's an excellent question. And although I've been critical, as you know, I just was, of the Canadian government, this is one thing I do not criticize uh, Mr. Trudeau and the Canadian government for, uh, for two reasons. And to answer your question, why did we go along? Uh, number one, we, we, Canada, not we, the Liberal Party, we, Canada, must absolutely, absolutely must have a trade agreement with the United States. It is simply the single most important trading partner on the planet Earth for Canada. Almost three-quarters of our, the totality of our trade with the world goes to one place called the USA. And for obvious reasons, we share our whatever it is, 8,000, 9,000-kilometer border. We speak the same language, basically. Yes, there's a minority that speaks French in Canada and a minority that speaks Spanish in the States. But the, the majority operating language of the two countries is, is English. English common law countries, both of us. Similar, very similar laws, very similar regulations, very similar mentality. We watch the same movies, we watch the same networks, and you know, and Netflix, and so on and so forth. And 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 so, you know, for that for that reason, the, the, I, Mr. Trudeau and the government said, "Look, we've got to have this agreement." The second, uh, it's sort of more of a an instrumental argument is, I'm sure they thought that it was going to be temporary and they would be going to be removed or canceled or abrogated quite quickly. So they thought, oh, well, you know, okay, we'll go, go along and, you know, the terrorists won't be around that long anyways. 
But I think that uh, terror of Trump surprised us all yet again, because Trump started, this is my view now, and because uh, I've been reading a ton on this, saying, what on earth are you doing putting in these tariffs? I mean, this is nuts, you know, because it falls on the American voters. It's like t- Canadian tariffs fall on the Canadians. And I think he decided, determined, that they're really popular out in the in the Rust Belt because they see Trump and the tariffs as sticking it to the people who've been screwing the United States. Yeah. I'm putting it as crassly and bluntly as possible. So will this ever be ratified with tariffs in place? Well, the prob- in a sense, the problem is that that question has been sidestepped by Nancy Pelosi. She has said, I mean, it won't... It, it's not going to come up for a vote. Yeah. It's not that she's going to allow it to go to the House where it'll get defeated. She is going to sit on it because the House, to Canadians, that may sound really bizarre, but the Speaker of the House controls the flow of bills onto the floor for voting. And if the Speaker of the House of Representatives says this bill is not going forward for a vote, it is then not going forward for a vote, period. And so she, it's almost like a pocket veto, if you know what I mean. She's not vetoing it. She's just saying nobody can get to vote on it. Hmm. Uh, yeah, you thought you were going to vote on NAFTA? No, nope, no, nope, we're not going to have a vote. So it just gets bottled up in the committee, frozen almost, locked up in a committee. And, and so we don't even have to address the question of ratification and tariffs because Nancy Pelosi is not going to allow it to come forward. And everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. I mean, the Mexicans know it. The Canadians know it. The opposition parties know it. And so Nancy Pelosi is, in a sense, in a sense, done a favor to the Canadians and the Mexicans who won't have to confront uh, their critics who are saying, what in God's name are you doing? You know, ratifying this with the tariffs still dangling over our heads. And they can quite rightly say, look, it hasn't been ratified and it's not about to anytime soon, which is absolutely correct. And I really don't think it's going to get ratified. I don't think we're going to see it ratified until after the next presidential election. And the new president, if it isn't Donald Trump, well, I could see quite de- quite legitimately say, hey, look, this wasn't my NAFTA negotiations. Hmm. I didn't negotiate this. Yeah. I, the new president, on January 2021, I want to negotiate my own new deal. So uh, Mexico and Canada, let's go back to the bargaining table. So then, then, Ian, isn't it only in Trump's best interest to get this done? So at least he's got some sort of legacy here? Um, I don't... Uh, I've thought of this, and I'm not sure he's sitting around worrying about his legacy, or to put it a slightly differently because every president, I think, and prime minister does think about their legacy, I think he's realized or believes that his legacy is, is that he is, you know, this phrase that we talk about, uber disruptive innovation, and I teach it in my classes every, every week, the idea of disruptive innovation. I think he's decided that he is a, a political presidential disruptive innovator. I'm not being funny or flippant or facetious. He's realized that his shtick, his his legacy, his competitive advantage, the reason he will be remembered in history by the presidential historians is because he broke so much China in the China shop. (laughs) He stood up to the Americans, uh, Mm. excuse me, to to the Germans. He stood up to the Allies, to the French, to the British. He stood up to the Chinese. He stood up to the Canadians. He stood up to the Mexicans. He stood up to the NATO. I mean, he stands up to everybody. He breaks, he, he's constantly breaking China and br- disrupting the given order. 
And there is a number of people, a significant number of people, well, I would say probably the 45% that support him, that think that this is long overdue, that the elites on both sides, both liberal and conservative elites, were just too cozy with each other, and, and that somebody had to go in there and you know, blow the whole place up. I don't mean that in a literal sense with yeah. the war, but blow it up in the sense of break up these assumptions. I mean, NATO, I know we're not talking about NATO, but it's another treaty, and there's a good example where he's, you know, people are saying, what's he doing? He's going to blow up NATO and not have a NATO because he's t- attacking the NATO allies because they're not contributing their 2% as, of GDP as committed. So I think, to answer your question, I think Trump increasingly sees his legacy as the fact that he is the guy, the president, the leader who broke up the uh, consensus, the post-war consensus of the last 70 years that was shared by both liberal and conservative presidents, Republican and Democratic presidents. And he sees that as really important. Hmm. And and that includes putting tariffs in, which is an anathema, I mean a no-no for the past 50 years. I can't remember any president or prime minister who ever bragged about, I'm the tariff man. Yeah, he loves it. He loves it. So his legacy, he is his legacy, his personality. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) And he is breaking, I mean, he's challenging the conventional wisdom. He's almost like the, you know, the 60s, the late 60s, the counterculture, challenging authority and challenging everything. And I grew up in that generation. You know, I'm a boomer. And, And he's almost doing that, but on the world stage as the president of the United States. And he gets a kick out of it because he gets enormous publicity. And he also is seen as this, um, you know, guy with a lot of, you know, backbone and a lot of kahunas standing up to everybody else who are a bunch of whimpering uh, uh, paid uh, politicians, you know, professional politicians. And I think he really enjoys that. And I think he sees that as his legacy, which for which he will be remembered in the history books. Ian Lee has been with us, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University. As always, Ian, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks a lot, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.